Hello and welcome to Uncommon Law, my podcast about true stories from my life experience of over 50 years as a lawyer and trial judge. This is a look at the law from the inside out, stuff they don't teach in law school. This is Judge Rudy Greco, retired justice of the New York State Supreme Court. Today's culture wars are, are, are not something new, despite a lot of people thinking that's the case. Uh, culture has always been uh, a part of human relations, which, whether they're large or small uh, scale, uh, they've always been around uh, above or below the surface. And I um, want to talk about a guy named Carlos from the South Bronx who was a client of mine. Carlos was... Uh, 5'3 in stature. He lived like about 6'3. Uh, and in his neighborhood, guys of his stature would commonly be called Tito in Spanish or Little Man in English as a, as a nickname. Carlos was a wonderful guy. He was tremendously uh, popular and, and uh, affable guy. He was a good son, a good father, a good brother, a good family man, a good provider, a good husband, and mostly a good neighbor. He had tremendous spirit. He was a very kind-hearted guy, always ready with a laugh. Most of all, he was very, very dependable. He worked uh, on a uh, delivery truck for an electrical supply company, and his employees loved him. He worked there for many, many years, and he was always reliable and dependable. In fact, Carlos was the guy in his neighborhood. uh, If uh, your car was stuck and wouldn't operate at 3 o'clock in the morning, go get Carlos. And then somebody would go get Carlos, and he'd come down, happy as could be, no problem, and uh, fixed the problem in, in, in no time. He was very talented also mechanically. But the thing about him was his good nature. That was, that was the overwhelming uh, characteristic, and it was very, very favorable. He was in a common law relationship with this woman uh, for 15 years, and they had two teenage uh, children. And his house, uh, they had a good relationship uh, up to a point, and, and his house or his apartment in, in tenement building where he lived was, was always uh, welcoming to all of his friends. And his best friend was this guy, Georgie, and, and Carlos began to notice that the reception he got from Carlos's uh, partner was especially warm and welcoming, and, and, and it aroused some suspicion in Carlos. Just, uh, just you know, nothing big but a, a subtle kind of a, a suspicion. And eventually, uh, Carlos grew wise because the relationship grew warmer and more obvious, uh, and uh, they were a little careless in, in hiding their feelings, and Carlos got the message that something was going on between the two of them. And then, uh, as they became more open and a little more brazen, a little more comfortable in their relationship, friends and neighbors started to know about this. Now, culturally, in, in the Latin culture, you know, the worst thing you could call a man is a cabron, which is a, just literally translated means a goat. Somebody with the horns, which is an idiom for somebody who's a cuckold, who's, who's, whose wife is putting the horns on him. And that's terrible. That's a, that's a very humiliating proposition. And, and when that started to happen in the neighborhood and a realization came uh, that maybe something was going on behind Carlos's back and everybody knew about it, Carlos got a little uh, more strenuous, a little louder, and he gave them a bit of warning, and he told them both, stop what you're doing now or else. Well, they continued on, and uh, Carlos had come home from work uh, on the truck early one afternoon, and and as he parked the truck uh, some distance away, a block or so away, uh, the closer he got to 
to his house or his building, uh, the worse the atmosphere seemed to become. It, it was a little ominous thing hanging. It, it was perceptible to Carlos. He knew. And, and neighbors seemed to be going out of their way to keep him from going home and to hold him up uh, from going home. And, and he caught on. Uh, the closer he got to uh, his apartment building, the the, uh, the more ominous the uh, the circumstances uh, appeared. So he, he turned around and he went back to the truck. He was sitting there in the truck thinking. And soon tears welled up in his eyes and he was crying in the truck. And uh, when he was done crying, or in the midst of crying, he reached under the seat and he had a gun, which he used for protection there on his deliveries. He walked back to the house with pretty bad intentions, and uh, he started climbing the stairs up to the apartment. And uh, while he was climbing the stairs, his emotions uh, evolved, I guess, into uh, something like cold resolution. He got to, the, to, to his floor, and he heard the voice of Georgie and his, and his common-law wife, uh, happy voices exchanging this, that, and the other thing. And, and he opened the door, pointed the gun at, at her, and shot. And it hit Georgie right in the heart, and he fell dead. Georgie jumped in front of her, as it were, and it was a twenty-two pistol, and it went right through his chest and hit him right in the heart, and Georgie dropped dead right there on the floor. Carlos ran away down the steps in alarm, and he went a couple of blocks away to his wife's father's house, his, his common-law father-in-law, as it were, and he who was his friend. And he said, this is what happened. Uh, I ended up, I just killed Georgie. And, you know, he was uh, screwing around with, with, with her and um, your daughter. And uh, father said, why didn't you shoot her? She's nothing but a puta for fooling around with a guy behind your back that uh, your best friend, you should have finished the job. Well, Carlos said, I tried, but Georgie ran in front of the shot and he took the bullet for her. The cops uh, were now looking for Carlos for about three days, and his friends uh, contacted me. Uh, I knew some of these guys, and they said, would you represent him? I said, sure, no problem, I can represent him. Um, but I want to talk to him, and, and I did. I arranged a meeting with him. I said, okay, Carlos, we're going to go, and we're going to call up. I don't want you to speak. Don't say anything. And uh, what we're going to do is, uh, is surrender you. I'll call the cops. So I did. I called up the precinct. Uh, where he lived, it was the forty-fifth uh, precinct in the South Bronx, and I arranged with the detective who caught the case. I said, "We'll come in." He said, "Fine." When would you be there? We we made uh, something that was mutually convenient, and I walked in with Carlos. And immediately, the detectives started questioning Carlos and myself. You know, do you have a weapon? I said, "Weapon? What weapon?" You know, I looked at the cop. And <laughs> he said, "Well, the guy got shot." I said, "Oh, did he get shot with a knife or did he get shot with a gun?" You know, trying to make funny, which didn't go over very well with the cop. He didn't like that at all. And uh, Carlos remained. Uh, uh, obediently silent, as I had instructed him to do. He said, nothing. I said, we have no weapon and nothing. Uh, you, what do you want with this guy? He said, well, we want to charge him with, with the homicide of this guy. I said, well, what can I tell you to, to change your mind? Nothing. Uh, go ahead. So they charged him with the homicide, took him away to criminal court where he was arraigned, and then held him. Uh, the judge held him without bail because he was going to be held uh, for another arraignment uh, pending an indictment on, on a felony, uh, you know, homicide charge, maybe manslaughter or murder. And um, 
that's what happened. He stayed in jail, and he was in jail. And, and, and in the meantime, uh, I had uh, got the friends mobilized. I said, get every uh, possible letter from anybody you can that says something positive about Carlos, which was easy to do because he was such a well-liked guy universally. Everybody liked him. And uh, some weeks later... I had a, a, a pre-trial conference with the, uh, or plea conference with the uh, assistant district attorney who was handling the case and the judge. And the judge was a female judge and uh, also like Carlos of Puerto Rican extraction. And um, I went over and I told him what my opinion of the case was. I said, I don't think you have a strong case here in, in the prosecution because uh, there are no witnesses to this except the wife. And I don't even know if she's going to testify. She's, she's pretty much ashamed of herself. She knows what she did in this culture. You know, she's not being held up to uh, admiration of anybody. Uh, it's, it's, she did the wrong thing by Carlos. And uh, people will judge her accordingly. I don't even know if she's going to show up in court to testify. I said, there's no weapon. And nobody else can testify. Nobody else saw this except Carlos. And he doesn't have, you can't make him testify. And on top of it all... I said, let's understand the, the, the cultural ramifications of this whole thing. This is the Bronx. All I need is one Latin, not even a Puerto Rican, it could be a Dominican or any other Latin. All I need is one Latin juror, which in the Bronx, we're going to have six or seven of them in that jury. You can't miss. The DA can't possibly eliminate all the Latin jurors from the panel. There's just too many of them. There are predominance uh, of, of Latinos showing up for jury duty. I said... He's not going to be held accountable. He did what in his culture is an honorable thing. He saved his honor. Uh, and and she, uh, she dishonored him, and he resuscitated his honor by doing the right thing. He should have, in, in his own, her father's words, he should have shot her. And people are going to feel that way. You're not going to get a, a, you're not going to get a conviction here. You might get a hung jury at best if you don't get an outright acquittal. And Carlos had a good record, as I said, and, and actually he had over a hundred letters of commendation. It was amazing. I never saw a show like that of, of, of uh, character, uh, good character letters that showed up on his behalf. And he deserved it because in, in, in all other instances, he's, as I said before, he was quite a, a decent guy, a very good guy. Well, the judge... The district attorney knew. He, he swallowed that pill. He knew. I, I knew what I was talking about, and he knew what he was talking about. He had been a veteran in, in Bronx uh, criminal trials. And the judge, uh, coming from the same culture, uh, sadly but truly admitted, she said, that, that's the sad but true, uh, but true uh, fact. She says, it's going to be tough to get a conviction if there's any Latin jurors there. We understand that. But by the same token, somebody was killed, and we just can't let this guy walk away. And we negotiated a plea, and it was a favorable plea. Carlos went to jail. He had been a couple of months' time served already. He ended up doing a total of 18 months. And after 18 months, he came out of jail uh, on good behavior. He was a model prisoner. He was totally uh, well-liked and popular among the, the prison population, as I understand it. And in fact, he was even held out as, a, as a, something of a hero, a cultural hero, for doing what he did. And uh, he came out and he went back to work uh, uneventfully, and I never heard from him again. Uh, I heard about him 15 years later, and one of his friends said, you know, by the way, Carlos is doing great, everything's going okay over all these years. You know, back then, he said, you know, you did a good job with the, with the case under the circumstances. 
I want you to know Carlos had a mistress at that time. And I said, well, <laughs> that's okay culturally because in Latin culture, if a guy has a mistress, that's fairly normal, you know, even maybe commendable. And so <laughs> culture is important. And then <laughs> that is the story. Thanks for listening. Come back next week for another episode of Uncommon Law, Lessons They Don't Teach in Law School. I'm Judge Rudy Greco. Court is adjourned.